Blog Talk Radio. Namaste. You are now in the Funk Soul Cafe, a cool, hot, soulful radio show for artists, writers, and so much more. Hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice warm cup of soulful java or chai, and listen and enjoy. It's always difficult to make future projections because I don't know where I will be site-wise in three years, five years, or ten years down the line. So I don't create any expectations for myself. I just focus on the site I have at the moment and enjoy seeing the most I can. But I'm finding more and more how important it is for vision-impaired people to set goals and make future projections in both their professional and personal life. These are the revealing words of today's guest, author Amy Bovaird. Namaste, Amy Bovaird, and welcome to the Funk Soul Cafe. Thank you, Robert. It's good to be here. It's so good having you. Amy, let's first start off by taking your Java order. We have a wonderful variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes. And we also have herbal teas for those tea lovers. So what's your fancy, Amy? Oh, I just love cappuccino. Uh, just one with a frothy uh, milk at the top. <laughs> okay, let me get that a right up for cappuccino. you. And here you go. Enjoy it. Thank you. Amy, so good having you on the Funk Soul Cafe. Your life's voyage has been, in my estimation, an astounding one. Let's start off by you giving our audience some background of your inspirational journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm a teacher. I was a teacher, uh, and English as a second language teacher, and I was traveling 
around the world and teaching in different countries, which was my dream. And uh, and I, uh, in my third year, I found out that I had an incurable hereditary eye disease that was causing me to lose my vision. So I had to make a decision whether I was going to continue my life of kind of a vagabond and learning languages and teaching English, or if I was just going to stay here uh, in my hometown and and wait for this blindness to happen. It's uh, a disease called retinitis pigmentosa, which um, it starts out with night blindness, continues to tunnel vision, and then eventually to blindness. But the doctors couldn't tell me when that was going to happen. It could be, you know, it could be tomorrow, it could be five years down the line, or it could be later in my life. So I was kind of uh, at a crossroads then. And I finally did decide to uh, go ahead with a job I had taken uh, in Indonesia. And uh, I traveled for the next 20 years. So it was uh, was the right decision for me. So um, retinitis pigmentosa, is it it hereditary? Uh, Did other people in your family have it? I mean, how... You know, for lack of a better word, how how did you get? Well, you know, it is hereditary, but no one in my family has it. It is, uh, they say, autosomal, which means that it could have uh, been many generations down the line. We don't know anyone who has has had it, um, so it took us all by surprise. Um, and I was the lucky one. My parents both have it as a recessive gene in order for me to have it is to get it. So the doctors, the the ophthalmologist, the specialist, he told retinal specialist, he told me it was one in a hundred thousand uh chances that I would have this with neither no one else in my family having it. So um it it's been, you know, kind of a learning experience for all of us. <laughs> wow. That it's, is amazing. So your great career is that of an international teacher. Talk about how traveling and teaching abroad has shaped who you are as both a writer and a person. Uh, That it has done what? Talk about how your traveling and teaching abroad has shaped you as both a writer and a person. Well, all of the experiences that I've had somehow make their way into my my writing, especially in the last two books, because in this book that I've written, um, as I've dealt with my vision loss, I tell stories about how I cope with it overseas in certain situations that have come up, and I've somehow overcome the obstacle <laughs> that has presented itself because it's progressive. So uh, the, the earlier, it was only nighttime that was difficult. And then it got to be daytime. And then it got to be daytime in crowded places. And <laughs> then it got to be going down the steps and, and limiting per, uh, um, depth perception. So the, the challenges kept changing. And the people that, um, that I met in different countries, it, it, I, first of all, I didn't tell them. 
But I learned that if anyone has a vision problem, it's usually swept under the carpet. If uh, people don't know about it, people stay at home. So I got to kind of kind of uh, see how they view vision loss there, and uh, and 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 kind of a few people I told and see how they, it has changed their perception because I have continued to live my life, you know, on my terms. So. Sure, sure. So, Amy, at what point in your life did you decide to write your first book? And why did you feel the need to do this? It was Mobility Matters, and it was because I was at a crossroads in my life. I had come back to the United States. My father had cancer, and I decided to stay home because when he passed away, there was I, my mother needed my help. I live in a very small town, and first I thought, okay, I'll be a writer, and I'll write about all my experiences. But it took me a while, uh, a couple of years, before I could be, get that discipline. And, um, and I had taken a job as a, as, in, uh, actually as a Spanish teacher, and I... Uh, at two different schools, and I was running into everything. I was tripping over. Uh, I, actually, people thought that I was drunk. <laughs> and I, <laughs> a, a friend of mine told me that I live in a small town. I live in a small town, and if they don't, if I don't want people to think their teacher is drunk, if I don't want my students to think their teacher is drunk, then I better do something. So that that whole journey that year was a really big pivotal year in my life, and I sought out the help of the Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services, and all of a sudden, I was catapulted into this, quote-unquote, blind world, and uh, I, was ha- I, I, I had a trainer who was completely blind, one of the few completely blind mobility trainers in the United States, and I was like, oh my gosh, now everybody is going to think I, I can't see anything, and it was a huge, huge, huge adjustment, you know. So that, that's, I, um, I, I wanted to, when I first started writing, I wanted to write about um, when I first started to lose my vision, but that's not the book that came out. The book that came out is How Did I Cope With That One Year? And that book, like, seemed to almost write itself. It was uh, having the, the experiences where uh, um, I, I had to, to um, cross streets, blindfolded, really busy streets, I had to walk in my neighborhood with a blindfold and a cane. Um, I had to be dropped off in, a, in, a, in the heart of the and find a specific address. Those things were so foreign. It was like being in a foreign world, you know. And it was, it was just, I was afraid of the word blind because I thought it meant that I had to stop my, living my life, you know, that I could, could just had to stay home. <laughs> And, and I didn't really understand that my training actually enabled me to continue being independent. Right. So, um, so you decide to write Mobility Matters, Stepping Out in Faith, uh, your first book. Did you um, have any uh, training as a writer? Did you take any prior creative writing courses? Did you join any writers' groups, or did you just – step out and uh, just start writing? No, I am joined a writer's group, Pen Writers. Uh, it's a, a national, uh, well, it's, sorry, it's one from Pennsylvania, um, Critchie Group, 
And I had also taken two correspondence courses, one from the Christian Writers Guild and the other one from uh, another writer, uh, Long Ridge Writing Group. So I had taken um, courses in those places. And I think that was my story. And I, I had also written, I ghost written a book for somebody at that point. So, okay. So you publish, write and publish Mobility Matters, Stepping Out in Faith. How yes. did this book affect the people who read it? What type of feedback did you get? Really, really positive. Uh, people didn't understand, first of all, that blindness, like me, I didn't understand it either, that blindness is a continuum and that it, it's not like a, a light that you turn on and turn off. It's not like you're blind and sighted. And so right. it was very, really insightful, I think. And I think it was inspirational in that I, every kind of obstacle I, I came across that year, uh, it was, I, I somehow went past it. And it, it was really, the book was, when my faith walk met my, my, my real walk, my physical walk, and it was learning to trust God in the everyday life and where it really matters, you know, like you can say I trust God, but when you really need to, uh, you know, when push comes to shove, you really have to see, do I trust him or do I not trust him, you know. And, and as you're blindfolded in crossing a, a really busy street and you're leaving, it's, it's like, well, there was a scripture, um, you know, the, the, um, it says, by rod and my staff, they comfort me. Well, I felt like my king was my staff and that God was there every time I walked. And that came through in the book as well as my imperfections. <laughs> I, I mean, all of the things, all of the struggles that I had, I didn't hide them. I, I, um, it, it all came through the authenticity, and people really liked that. And, and it wasn't just for, for vision-impaired people. Uh, it was just for families. It was for sighted people. It was for Christians. It was for people who would like to see adventure. As you, uh, I mean, it was, it was a big adventure. That's kind of how I started looking at my training, and, and that's what changed my life. And I think that's what changes the reader when, when um, he or she reads the book, that they have gone through this, this journey with me. Right, right. So, Amy, your new and latest book is called Caned Confessions. What is it about, and what inspired you to feel a need to write it? Well, I, it's, it's about, uh, instead of being like a chronological story, it's a, a series of anecdotes, uh, 28 anecdotes. Some of them happen when I'm overseas. Some of them happen when I'm back home. And it's really about adjusting to using a cane in everyday life, overcoming obstacles, and looking back and saying, "Wow, I did that." I that and 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 that's that's kind of humorous how I did that. Uh, the um, I, it started out because of my blogging. I was I, I was blogging frequently about the mishaps that I had with my cane. Mishaps meaning like. Um, like sometimes when my cane, for example, if my cane hits something in the store, it might knock over a display. <laughs> and uh, right. how did I cope with? It? And 
And so instead of being like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing, I just thought, well, this is life, you know, this is, <laughs> and I got through it. And I, I, at first I thought that once I had my cane, I wouldn't have any, uh, my life would be okay. I wouldn't have embarrassed myself anymore. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have any more challenges. Everything was going to be not really what it's like. And I don't think it's like that for anyone, sighted or, or uh, vision impaired. Life doesn't fall into place. You have always to um, to cope with the unexpected, you know. Right. Oh. I'm yeah. interested in the title. Was Cain Confessions the original title or did it come later? No, it was the original title. It, because it's like things that you wouldn't, you don't really want people to know. So I thought, well, why not just let people know that, you know, that yes, life is not uh, perfect, even with a cane. I mean, you're still going and, to, and it's all right to not be uh, perfect. And it's the more that you can share with these, uh, of these uh, things that you go through, uh, situations, the more that other people can relate and they'll be encouraged. And that was, that was my uh, purpose in writing it. I wanted to encourage and to enlighten people. So, so I chose the word confessions. Mm, that's what. Got it. Uh, it works too. Very good. Very well. So, Amy, um, speaking of Cain confessions and the anecdotes, you have graciously agreed to read from your book for us. Can you set up the piece before you read it? Yes. Uh, just looking for the piece right now. Uh, um, hang on one second. This is when I was I was under the you know the impression I didn't need a cane if the, my area was familiar. And um, and uh, so I didn't need to take my cane everywhere I went. If it was near my I right. mean, my hometown, it's small. So. I just thought, okay, well, I'll just take it where I'm not familiar with an area. And I found out some something uh, from doing that. So this is when I'm uh, walking home from the bank, and I, I come across the library. And I decide I'm going to use a computer um, because my, my own computer's down, and I wanted to, to, uh, to check and see if I got an article, if, uh, it was, if it was accepted or not. I thought, eh, it's enough time. So I thought, okay, I'll go in and use the computer. And that's, that's where this starts. Okay. Okay. So it's called, If Only Mr. Magoo Had a Cane Like Mine. Being partially sighted for some time, I felt stressed in public because I never knew what kind of situation I would find myself in. For example... When walking my dog in a park, I often thought fence posts were people. And to me, it looked as if the low, dark bushes were their dogs. It wasn't until I came near them that they reverted into fence posts again. In malls, I sometimes reached out to touch the fabric of an outfit, only to discover that a real person was wearing it. In banks, I tried to walk through ropes. Before I received my cane, these blunders happened frequently, and of course, without warning. Once I started using a cane, I thought all the mishaps would stop. 
On one occasion, as I was walking home from the bank, I took a familiar route through town. Because I knew the way, it didn't seem like a big deal to leave my cane at home. When I reached the public library, some patrons walked out of the door carrying books. My home computer was down, and I needed to check my email. I hurried in, handed the librarian my card, and asked, just sign in for the computer? She nodded and resumed her work at the desk. Along the table were four computers. The farthest from me was available, so I picked up the clipboard, sign-in sheet, and neatly wrote my name and time on the first line. Before I could log on to the computer, the librarian came over and whispered something in my ear. Whatever she said was lost, that I had forgotten to wear my hearing aids. For the third time, when she raised her voice a little, I finally understood. There are some more computers around the corner. Would you like to use one of those? She asked politely. Oh, no, thanks. This one will be fine. The idea of wasting any more time didn't appeal to me. I hadn't checked my email in a couple of days and was waiting for a response from a publication. The librarian stood behind me for a minute without saying anything, making me uncomfortable. I tried to ignore her. Finally, she tapped me on the shoulder and cleared her throat. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, that's not a computer, she said with a funny look. Much to my horror, I realized that the computer I wanted to use was actually a picture of a computer hanging on the wall. In fact, I then noticed the word computer written across the top of the paper in large black font. Another instance of my shifting vision, gaps where words existed but didn't appear until later. Great Scott! Will I ever be able to show my face in this library again? Or even to a picture of a library? Picking up, my, picking up my purse, I mustered some enthusiasm in the hopes the librarian would at least find me agreeable. In that case, I would be delighted to use the other computer. Can you show me the way? She turned the corner, gestured to a single uh, computer on the table. I laughed, a silly titter, and said, this will do fine. Twenty minutes later, the librarian returned and tapped me on the shoulder. Again, a whisper that required deciphering. I caught some of the words, library, Close, something, something, blah, noon. She waited politely for some kind of response. Feeling like a contestant on Wheel um, of Fortune with a clock ticking, adrenaline coursed through me. I paused and studied the board in my head, tossing out and rearranging letters. Is that an S? I turned to the imaginary host. I'm ready to solve the puzzle now, Pat. The library's closing, so you, rather, uh, I have to, to log off something, right? Vanna White, I mean the librarian, gestured her approval and glided off as the letters dinged into place. Holding back a smile, I exited from Verizon and out of the computer altogether. The clipboard caught my eye. Should I sign out when I forgot to sign in? That was, my, that was the rule, so I did both at the same time. The lights in the room dimmed momentarily. The five-minute warning. Scrambling out of my seat, I pushed the chair and left. When I reached the librarian's desk, the need to explain about what happened earlier came over me. Sorry, you know, I can see, but I can't. Well, I usually have a cane. I mean, like a blind one, not, for, for, not one for old people, the elderly. Well, not really blind, more vision impaired, I grimaced. Obviously, anyone who mistakes a sign on the wall for a computer is really blind in a Mr. Magoo kind of way. 
The librarian looked more confused than ever by my explanation as I waved goodbye and backed out of the building. The poor woman saw me enter and sign, at the, sign in without any problem. It looked like I had normal vision like everyone else. Partial sight is confusing that way. It betrays me when I least expect it to. So I have to be prepared with proof that my vision isn't what it appears to be. Having my cane with me would have explained why a picture of a computer looked like the real thing. I wouldn't have had to say a word. Trying to clarify low vision to others can often lead to complicated explanations. They say a picture is worth worth a thousand words. I guess it depends on the picture and where it's placed. Seeing some mobility cane will head off a thousand words far more easily than a picture can display, even one. My cane is a valuable asset. In my world of shifting vision, I find it more and more necessary to carry my cane and let it speak for me. Yes. So that's one of my stories. Hey, that was so great. Well, it was funny, self-deprecating, so humorous. I really enjoyed it, Amy. So let's talk about Amy Bovaire, the person. Where did Mm -hmm. you grow up? And what was your childhood like? Well, I grew up in a small town in Girard, Pennsylvania. My childhood was like Norman Rockwell. It was wonderful. We had a, uh, we live on a corner, and there's a, just at the pond, there's a pond uh, hill right below my house. We went ice skating there. Uh, like, we would, right now, there is a huge snowstorm going on, and I would, I would have been there as a child. Um, so we went ice skating. There was a big creek there that we went in the summertime. Um, growing up, it, it, everybody seemed to know everybody else. I, I worked for my father, who was a, um, uh, we called him the tree man, and he had a tree removal business. And so every summer I had a build-in job. It was just a wonderful childhood. And, yeah. and what were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? Well, I really liked Trixie Belden. Uh, I loved, uh, of course, Little Women and all of the scholastic books, you know, uh, they, in school, Amy, uh, Carol moves in, There's just anything that, that had some kind of a journey. And, and I loved books about other countries. Just really, you know, uh, loved learning about traditions and uh, ways that ways that are diff- were different from my own. Um, even coloring books from uh, I remember one coloring book uh, that dolls from around the world. I just loved it. I had an aunt that was from Japan on my father's side. He married uh, after World War II. My uncle married uh, this woman, and I had another one that was Russian. So it was I, that, that kind of intrigued me. All, all of this foreign stuff. A Norman Rockwell painting. Wow, what a metaphor that is. Um, and you know what? I'm sure a lot of people don't even know who Norman Rockwell is these days, you know? So I love that, that metaphor of Norman Rockwell. Anyway, on your website, Amy, you write in one of your blogs entitled My Faith. After three years of living abroad, I came back to the United States. Since I was between teaching jobs, I took the opportunity to run to the eye doctor. 
My intention was to get a stronger prescription for my glasses. Instead, I learned I had an incurable hereditary vision disorder called retinitis pigmentosa and was told I would go blind. I had to choose whether to change my career goals and stay in the United States or trust God wherever I found work abroad. After an intense few weeks of crying out to God, I chose the latter. My faith had begun to deepen. Amy, can you go into more detail about those intense few weeks that led you to make such an importantly momentous decision? Well, you know, I just, I couldn't believe that this happened to me because I, I was like um, so happy in my career. I was like just in the, 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 the throw of it, the midst of it. And so when I, you know, I, I stayed home, I, I had just gotten this job in Indonesia. I signed a contract and it was like my, my whole life was disrupted, you know. And I would call, I called a few people that I knew to tell them and they didn't know what to say to me. So it really was, it made it very awkward. Um, and I just, I basically, I stayed in my room and I read the Bible and I cried and I'm like, why did this happen to me at this time in my life? And I, I, I just, you know, I, I didn't, I thought maybe, I, I even thought like maybe the doctor made a mistake and I didn't see that, that God still had a plan for me, you know. And then by the end right. of those two weeks, I had to decide. I had to, I had to show up. I had to go to the job or not, you know. So that's it. So after making that decision, your teaching career took you to Colombia Costa Rica, Indonesia, Japan, Egypt, Taiwan, and the United Arab Emirates, where you live in dynamically diverse cultures and learn many new languages. Amy, do you ever see yourself writing an autobiographical book about your life from the beginning up until now, sort of like the Amy Bovard story? Yes. I, I want to call it Fading Light. And it's seeing these countries through, uh, through not my eyes, <laughs> but you know the, the maybe through. You know you can't always have your your way. So it was what I I saw, you know, <laughs> and how that. Yeah, I do actually see myself writing that book, and uh, maybe um, the next series of books, the the, the light series, fading light. Um, I have a one called Heavenly Light where I uh, I had was pregnant with twins and had some problems and then there's one called Traveling Light so that will be my the light series <laughs> yeah yeah I think those books would be so inspirational definitely so Amy when you write your books is there any particular message or messages you want to instill in your readers. Well, I want them to know that everything is possible. That the only thing that is the only thing is that we have to adapt ourselves, and that we don't have to limit um, limit what we can do. There's always a way to accomplish it. And I want them to. Um, I, I also want to like bridge the gap between sighted people and what they think, or and what I used to think that blindness is, 
I want them to know that it's not this uh, terrible thing that is going to, it, like, you know, yep, your life is over, you know, you can't do anything. I want them to see that the able, that the, the ability within that, that vision impaired, um, you know, uh, world that, that my, well, the, the big thing is my mobility trainer told me that it's the same world. You just see it from different perspectives. And that whole right. uh, idea changed my life, you know. And I want right. to communicate that to them. Words to live by. So in closing, I have what I feel is a pertinent question. Of all the wonderful accomplishments in your extraordinary life, professionally speaking, what would be the one thing, Amy, that you are most proud of? The one thing that I almost... That you are most proud of. Oh, that I am most proud of. Um, I don't know if there's one thing. Um, keeping on, moving on, moving forward. That's what I'm proud of. That I'm. I don't. I don't let things hold me back. And that uh, I think that I'm a very positive, uplifting person. So that uh, I'm proud of of the fact that I can uh, keep adapting and keep perspective, keep things in perspective. And my humor, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that I can have and proud that I can have a good sense of humor. Yes, you do. So what's next for Amy Bolverd? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? More books? Yes. Yeah, more books. And I want to write a book about my father. He really uh, shaped so much of, of my life. And he was, uh, he was right. an entrepreneur. And so I really want to write a book about his life. It's been 10 years since he passed away. And so I think it's about time. All the people in my town are asking me about this book. Uh, I'd like to do some more. I'd like to do some mission work. I want to connect also uh, in my launch just uh, last month. I connected uh, the Bureau of Mind and Visual Services, Lions Club, the um, uh, like five or six different groups, and I, uh, the leader dogs and a doctor, a uh, um, uh, lens, uh, like a retinal specialist, and I just I want to connect people so that they can see the possibilities and they can see that we're not alone on a journey. That that there are always people to help. You know that there are always people to um, bring. You know, to, to 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 bring things together so that you um, you're part of a of a whole uh, affiliate, a whole network, and you're not alone, and you don't have to feel hopeless. You know, so I want to work on those connections and and and, and like be that kind of encourager. You know, that's a beautiful thing. So, Amy, how do people contact you um, to get your book? How do people contact you to just talk to you? Uh, give out any websites or Twitter handles or email that you'd like. Um, my website is amybovaird.com, and that's A-M-Y-B-O-V-A-R-D. 
www.ivyrg.com. They can find my books on Amazon. Um, and I have audio books out. I, I, my audio book just came out, I believe, for King Confessions, or if not, it will be out very shortly. And they can get that on audible.com, also amazon.com, and iTunes. And I sell it on my website as well. Um, and they can tune into my blog and see my daily adventures as well. I'm on Facebook as Amy Bovard Author and Amy Bovard. So, lots of different ways. And can you spell? Can you spell your last name, please? Yes, it's B as in boy, O, V as in Victor, A, I, R as in Ralph, D as in Delta, Bovard. Bovaird. Okay. This has been the Funk Soul Cafe with me, Robert Batista. One of the easiest ways to peer into my soul is to download and read my free micro story called My Baby Has No Name from Smashwords.com. My guests have been the wonderful author, survivor, and inspirational human being, and so much more, me, Bovaird. Make sure you visit her website, amybovera.com, and feast your mind. Thank you so much, Amy, for being my guest on the Funk Soul Cafe. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful. It's been a great, great experience. Have a great evening, Amy. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.